Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Today's host is Todd Runstead, Senior Editor. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Healthy Insider Podcast, uh, or the Toddcast, as I like to call it. This is Todd Runstead here. I'm senior editor for Natural Products Insider, Supply Side West, you know, all the good things. I dabble at New Hope Network, too. You can go to newhope.com. Today, I have a, a good friend here from Kentucky by way of California, or maybe I got that in reverse, Josh Hendricks, board member of the U.S. Hemp Authority. That's the sound of the seal going on all those bottles and farms. He's a founding member of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, which is a uh, just a, a lobbying arm of state and federal governments uh, to make sure that when the lawmakers uh, get those law passed that they do it right. Um Josh also founded the Kentucky chapter of the Hemp Industries Association. Uh, and I also have to point out he uh, he founded Hendrix Hemp. Uh, it sh- he should have founded it because it's Hendrix, and this is Josh Hendrix on the line, and he is also a new dad. Josh, you're keeping busy. Um, Trying to. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Hey, let me ask you first, you know, when you got into this business, were like let's say with Hendrix Hemp, were you looking straight up CBD, or did you have other things in mind with your hemp crop? Um, or by starting the Kentucky HIA, were you more kind of an advocate than a farmer? What what's that story? Uh, kind of an advocate wannabe farmer. Um, really, just saw it as a new frontier and trying to be on the front end of something. I jokingly say that. You know, the first two years, 2014 and most of 2015, was basically like getting a hemp business degree, um, kind of learning the ropes and learning everything from the ag side all the way through to, you know, I guess the cannabinoid side was probably the most wildly scientific side of things, uh, you know, extraction all the way to what cannabinoids were doing. But no, to be honest, when I started lobbying in 2013 with uh, when I was living in Virginia with Jonathan Miller and tagged along to D.C. and uh, a couple meetings here and there with uh, Jason Amatucci from the Virginia Industrial Hemp Coalition. Uh, I'll be honest, I, the three-letter CBD never came into my vocabulary. I didn't know what they were. It wasn't a thing. It was all about hemp and really industrial hemp or what was referred to as industrial hemp at the time. And then as 14 uh, turned into 15 and you really saw the, the blow-up of Charlotte's Web, um, is when the CBD conversation really started happening in my world. Yeah, so that's interesting. So you just saw something cool to be a part of. So you're not you're not well, from you, you, like you're not a farmer, and you were like, oh, should I go into tobacco or soybeans or, or oh, there's hemp or you know, were you throwing darts at us in, you know, Hey, maybe I'll sell insurance. Ah, maybe hemp. This sounds cool. That's, that's a funny, uh, funny way to put it. I joke, you know, my, my grandfather's farm where I've grown hemp, uh, three years, I guess in a row I did for three years. Uh, it's just a gentleman farm. You know, it's a hundred acres. It's a, uh, we grew tobacco and have always had cattle and hay. Uh, but that was really it. And then just cattle and hay since tobacco went by the wayside. And so, the farm is really more to get my hands dirty. I'd never considered myself a farmer, more of a businessman in general. 
uh, to your point about selling insurance, and I joke and jokingly say I was so miserable that I was thinking about going to law school. And if you know me, that means I was probably in a severe state of depression. Um, so uh, hemp, when hemp came along, it sparked my interest because I'd always been interested in cannabis. And it, it goes back to my grandfather again. Uh, you know, there was a guy, Gaywood Galbraith, that was an independent politician and lawyer, friends of my grandfather. And if you ever watched the documentary Hempsters Plant the Seed, Joe Hickey and all those guys are in there. My grandfather was kind of on the periphery of that, just really a big supporter of what they were doing and a friend of Gatewood's. And so I'd always knew about it and kind of reread that book um, and was, you know, interested in just entrepreneurship and things like that at the time. And so when hemp came along out of nowhere, I kind of took it as a sign and uh, kind of just said, hey, this is, if nothing else, this is going to be fun for a few years and we'll see what happens. Right. So, yeah, that's really interesting because Kentucky has a real sort of legacy history with hemp. It's it's not it's not like let's just say Colorado where I'm, where I'm living which, you know, we, we just we legalized weed and then we kind of got into hemp. So it kind of seems like we went at a, about it that way. But with Kentucky, I mean, maybe Kentucky was growing weed back in the day, but but Kentucky has had this really rich history of hemp, isn't that right? Yeah, you know, I used to say um, if Kentucky, if we had never outlawed cannabis, Kentucky would most likely be the hemp state instead of the bluegrass state because we were, it was so prevalent. Uh, you know, we basically, we produced a lot, not all of, but a, a large majority of the seed that was then shipped up to Michigan and Wisconsin and places kind of on that northern belt where they could grow the really, really tall, um, you know, really, really long strong fiber, which was all the hemp was used for back then. So uh, we were kind of the breeding ground, as I like to say, for hemp. And, you know, in Kentucky, there's not a ton of stuff that we're uh, known for. Bourbon and bluegrass music and basketball is about it. So if we could add hemp to it, that's kind of where my thought process was. And <laughs> I wasn't the only person with that thought process, obviously. But, you know, I always said we, we were at the forefront of it, which is also rare in Kentucky because I think the famous Mark Twain quote is, uh, you know, when the end of the world comes, take me to Kentucky because they're always 10 years behind. <laughs> and there was a, an opportunity. It's a debate about whether that's about Cincinnati or Kentucky. But nonetheless, um, you know, I just thought it would be cool to to kind of do something for Kentucky, but also really, you know, for the, the planet. I mean, for the United States, obviously, hemp is good. There's not a negative. I used to go around and you see me give that talk. Um, you know, the CBD, the certified business disruption. But the point of that was there was nothing negative about it, right? Hemp is good for the farmer. It's good for the soil, good for the economy, good for jobs and all that stuff all the way to the consumer. So it's hard. You're hard you'd be hard pressed to find a negative except for maybe overproduction. <laughs> yeah. Well, interestingly enough, you know what? I, I was talking to some Tennessee hemp farmer uh, recently, and he said, you know, sure, there's all this hemp piling up in barns all around the country. But he said it didn't have to be this way. If if the FDA and the USDA, but in this case, mostly the FDA, if they would have provided clarity earlier on, you could have had the major CPGs, the the Pepsis and the Unilevers that that would have been you know, they would have had a path forward and they would have been so excited. This is the first new ingredient to hit the food supply in in decades. And they would have been all over this stuff, formulating, trying to see where they could put it in foods and beverages, you know, and, and to really capitalize on this. But instead, it's just been there's just been this regulatory roadblock that's 
been preventing it from seeing its sure. full promise. You think? Sure. I mean, yeah, definitely, obviously, I would never disagree with the fact that there's been a regulatory roadblock. I also think that the um, projections of the industry have been mismanaged. And, you know, I was talking with an ag economist the other day, and he was like, we were talking about, it's it's hilarious when you talk to some of the people, you know, they joke around about, oh, we'll get together and have a drink and, and laugh at our pro formas from two years ago because they were able to raise insane amounts of money and now right. they're sitting around and can't generate a lick of revenue and they're blaming it on uh, the FDA and the lack of regulations. And while that's a huge, huge part, the reality is nobody sat down and did the math and said, okay, you know, for a company like uh, uh, Charlotte's Web or somebody to do $100 million in revenue, how much hemp does that actually take? And how many Charlotte's Webs can there be? And then when Pepsi comes in, how big is that going to be? Uh, you know, it came to kind of came to a head last fall, I believe. I can't remember, maybe the HIA conference or somewhere uh, when someone said, you know, someone sat down and did the math and said there's enough milligrams of CBD in the state of Kentucky to supply every adult in America with 15 milligrams a day. Hmm. And, you know, I'm not even sure that number is true, but it was just to prove it, it proved the point. Uh, there is more hemp and what is the prevalent market right now, milligrams of CBD, than there needs to be. And so overproduction happens in every agricultural commodity. It's just never been anything this sensational, right? I mean, there's never been another ingredient <clears throat> that justified 3,500 brands being started in the last year and a half. Right. Um, so it's an interesting debacle, I guess, that that's happened where there is – tons and tons of cbd almost there's tons of cbd fatigue right you know i mean my my friends and family and people are just like oh cbd cbd and obviously my fiance has a cbd brand i work in the business um you know there's just a lot of it in your face and i think what will happen now is the the people that are really smart and business savvy are going to be the ones that survive and, and that goes even back to the production and it's unfortunate because there was a lot of hype and a lot of bullshit frankly i can kind of People saying that this was going to save the small farmer and me, who who technically you know is a small farmer, want to be small farmer or whatever. You know, I never, certainly never looked at it that way. There was never a a time where I thought, oh, I'm going to actually be able to make ten thousand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars in profit per acre. Don't get me wrong; the numbers showed that at the time. No one was reading or just making up these numbers. They were reading the same numbers as everybody else, but. Um, Maybe that was, was true in twenty fifteen. Yeah, right. Right, right. So, well, you know, uh, I think I think that there's just a, a conundrum of this more than any other agricultural commodity has ever seen of overproduction, specifically of the CBD specifically um, that cannabinoid individually, <coughs> and because of the lack of lack of regulation, you have just renegades out there making all kinds of stuff, slapping blank CBD on the label. And putting it into every single market that you could possibly think of. You can right. buy CBD at the bookstore, the the online. People have figured out a way to get around Amazon. You can now you can buy hemp joints online and have them mailed to your house. <laughs> and I don't think anybody ever saw that coming. So maybe they did. They just didn't say it out loud. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so it, it, it's interesting because. Right in front of us, 2020 is kind of shaping up as a rough year for hemp, you know, too much overproduction last year, little investment dollars anymore, too many brands, so they're folding the USDA IFR, the interim final rule, um, uh, you know, rough. 
are you still optimistic for the future of hemp and or hemp CBD? Well, I think what uh, it's it's going to be a necessary transition towards what we kind of started with, which is hemp. And hemp as a food additive doesn't have to be CBD, right? I mean, hemp seed oil uh, could replace so much stuff, soy and other things, uh, and that got lost in the shuffle. And I think you're going to see even some of these big, massive hemp companies that are obviously been geared towards CBD and that kind of revenue for a while start to look at how can we bring that industry along from the fiber standpoint or the hemp food, non-CBD related uh, hemp food, and kind of further that part of the industry as we you know, use our revenue from these other cash flows. Because then, you know, similar to a Pepsi or all the people you named on the food and ingredient side, there's big time fiber, there's big time agricultural players that would come in and, and be interested in that and that would expand that market. So, you know, I think it's, it'll be another game of, even with that, it'll be another game of how long can a uh, hemp specific company last and how many of them will last or will, another thing we didn't talk about on the CBD side is there was supplement makers that were sitting on the sidelines waiting on CBD, you know, the, the regulations and just said, hey, we're not waiting anymore. We've got other supplements and we can bring in a CBD line set and add it to our, you know, repertoire. And they're killing it now. I mean, you look at Garden of Life and, uh, you know, Barleen's and some of those folks that have dipped their toe in the CBD water and they're taking up quite a bit of market share. So you'll have the same thing there. And I think it would be um, silly not to expect that and to use it as an excuse for your business model not working because, that just means you're bad at business planning or very poor, you know, poor planning because that's an obvious thing that's going to happen. So, you know, everyone, everyone's sitting on the sidelines going back to CBD and saying, uh, you know, what, what, what happens when Pepsi comes in and stuff? And like, well, yeah, sure. That definitely will help one supplier, but what will it do to the big hemp companies, the big brands, the, the brands that have established themselves as a cannabinoid company or a, a hemp extract company or whatever their language is. You know, what, will I continue to buy that when I'm buying Pepsi with CBD in it? I don't know. You know, that's, yeah. these are the things no one's talking about. Everybody's just been busy chasing money instead of building an industry uh, or building brands that can, can last a long, long time. And, you know, you're seeing the news every day who's succeeding and who's failing in this tough climate. Yeah. Well, you know, you've, you've traveled all over this country visiting hemp, hemp farms. What are hemp farmers most excited about? You know, surely it's more than just the money, right? Yeah, I think uh, I think the other cannabinoids, um, learning, you know, which ones are not intoxicating and which one's the next big ingredient, right? CBD was, was just one, you know, and we talk about the entourage effect and things like that. And there's certainly other cannabinoids doing other things and, and having other specifics that they're geared towards. Um, so I think that's a big talk right now, CBG, CBN, things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think, um, you know, I think the ones that are really deep diving into organic side of things, um, taking it as, you know, seeing it as a an opportunity to kind of change the face of agriculture are the ones that seem still very excited about it and, and very determined that this is going to be part of their, um, you know, crops and, and rotations, uh, no matter what, wh whether it's CBD related or not. Uh, I think there's been a kind of a shock and I think a lot of farmers have either stepped aside and said, you know, I'm going back to the basics and get the guarantee of real commodity pricing and things like that. And then there's the, 
the ones that really truly believe in it. And it's not just because they think hemp is the big dollar, you know, it's going to be the almighty savior of their bank account. They think that hemp is what's right and it's what's next and it's what's right for their mission and what the mission of their farm. And so those are the ones that I've, you know, stayed in touch with the most and, and heard the most positive uh, responses from. And they, you know, don't get me wrong. There's plenty that, that I've talked to that are just like, well, we're done with this. That was fun for a year and it killed us for two or you know, whatever their personal situation is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, so I, it's interesting. I think you, did you say that there's kind of the promise of hemp changing agriculture? I mean, you hear a lot of regenerative agriculture going on as kind of a organics 2.0. Well, and is, is hemp driving that conversation on the farm? Well, for sure. And I think, you know, that's a little bit thankful or, you know, they should be a little bit thankful for the oversaturation of brands and the need for brands to be able to differentiate, right? Um, you know, certified organic is its, uh, its movement within its own, a growing movement within its own. And I think taking advantage of that and then obviously the tie-ins with hemp and cannabis to organics and natural and um, healthy and wellness and things like that, it really bodes well for those farms that have taken that seriously. And, you know, they'll always be conventional. I would never doubt that. Um, But I do think there's, at least within the hemp community, uh, a real shift towards like what we've talked, you know, for years, there was just a lot of talk about stuff and no real action. And I think um, now the people that are still sticking around and still pushing forward on, you know, with the gas pedal are, okay, what's the next action? I mean, I'm on the, those different boards you mentioned, uh, Friends of Hemp, the U.S. Hemp Growers Association, and I think everyone's going, all right, advocacy is fun, but it doesn't get anything done, and we end up in situations that we can't control. And so all these brands and businesses and producers and farmers are having to, to do the same thing and kind of steer their own ship. And so, yeah, I think, you know, the regenerative being 2.0 organic, you know, we'll see, but even if we can just continue to grow the organic messages within the grocery stores, whether it's through the hemp aisle or through, um, you know, any kind of organic selling, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you comment on just on the varied ways hemp could help us forge a stronger economy? You know, so, so this is, this is really bigger picture than just cbd or, or the cannabinoids but you know big picture what, what what's realistic for hemp and and what's maybe a stretch for hemp but wouldn't that be great um well you know i don't want to say anything's unrealistic but i do like to speak in matter of factly a lot of times that i think people uh should learn from the mistake of um the the false promises of what hemp can be for the farmer. I think if if you if you respect the farmer enough to be honest with them, as I've tried to be my whole career, and I think every farmer I've worked with would say that. Uh, I think that every, you know only good things can come from there, and so I think shifting the focus away from those three letters that we all love and say all the mm-hmm. time: CBD, CBD, uh, and shifting it towards the environmental benefits. Um, shifting and that that's not just the growing of it right that's the the uh, fiber materials the packaging changes we can make the uh, you know that's a big problem in cannabis which is another new you know industry and it's still learning and developing and this is not abnormal I don't want to think people think I'm saying it is but uh, you know really learning from 
these mistakes of, okay, well, now we're selling all these vape pens or jars of ounces and, and all this stuff instead of the old Ziploc baggie, you know, that you used to get from your dealer. Uh, we actually have to have pretty packaging and all this stuff now. And then the bottle comes in a box, which is shipped in a box, which has paper products to keep mm. it safe in there and stuff. And so how do we change the packaging game? How do we find verticals for the hemp crop, not just in the dietary supplement space or the food ingredient space? And I think that's really where we need to focus. And I don't, you know, I don't really have a specific answer to your question. I sit in these, on these board calls, uh, not in meetings anymore, but on Zoom calls. And mm-hmm. I keep trying to direct every organization back to what can we really accomplish and what should our main focus be. And I think we've done a good job. The U.S. Hemp Growers Association, if there are already farmers out there listening, I suggest you look into that about finding that voice for farmers. And, and I think that voice is a realistic education of what's going on in the industry, how to become part of the industry and what part you might fit. You know, you may there's a lot of row crop farmers out there that jumped into CBD because they had a lot of land and they started growing a bunch of crops and they may not have been, you know, like tobacco farmers. They're used to just planting it, walking away, spraying some stuff on it, coming back, harvesting it all machine related. And this is totally different. So they probably didn't succeed as well. So, you know, figuring out where you fit in as a farmer, as a business person, all those things, uh, I think is good. There's definitely a lot of people doing a lot of jobs in the hemp industry that they probably weren't cut out for just because they want to be in the hemp industry. Mm-hmm. And I think finding your strengths and, and, and weaknesses for that matter, uh, will be key to success going forward. Yeah. So you, you had talked a couple of times about fiber. What, what does that look like? You know, like when I think of fiber, I think of, you know, the stuff in my morning cereal bowl, but, but I, I, I kind of get the idea that you're talking about something other than that. Yeah, so I'm talking about any type of biocomposite material. So think the overhead compartment in your uh, airplanes, the dashboard in your car, the uh, there's you know there's a company in Kentucky, in Murray, Kentucky called Hempwood that's making flooring and furniture and things like that. So basically anything that you can make, uh, you know whether it's 3D printed or uh, biocomposite, uh, whatever they're called, forms and fillings and stuff, things like that. Uh, but the irony is the thing that we lobbied on. Uh, to get hemp legalized, uh, other than it being good for the farmer and good for the economy and stuff, was that, hey, we were going to change uh, the materials game. And the real irony is that we ended up massively overproducing cannabinoids, CBD specifically, and flooding the market with something that will will actually go bad. And most of it won't even be consumed because we overproduced it so much to where if we had just done that with fiber, which would have been much, much less expensive to do and accomplish, even just producing it, I'm not even talking about the processing of it. If we had piled up pounds and pounds and pounds and millions and millions and millions of tons of hemp fiber, we would be in a great position as a hemp industry, as opposed to everyone thinking the sky is falling because we have piled up pounds and pounds and pounds of CBD. Um, so that's yeah. kind of where I think the, the the realization has to happen that, hey, we just have to start over on that side of things. And somebody that has the land and the money and the, the is going to do it. And they're going to, you know, this is not far-fetched. If we, if you and I get on the phone 10 years from now and the hemp, hemp fiber is not a huge part of our materials world, I'll be shocked. Hmm. That's a great statement. You, you know what that kind of reminds me of? And, and, Correct me if I'm wrong in what what I'm kind of reading between the lines a little. Like back like 20 years ago, all of the telecom companies laid fiber optic wire 
under the Pacific Ocean and um, from America down to the Far East. And they all lost money on it. But that paved the way for all of those call centers that are in the Far East, in your India and things like that, that all like, you know, major multinational corporations are now relying on. And so, you know, somebody had to lose some money in that investment, but it did pave the way for some business gains to come. And so is that sort of it here where, all right, 2019, we way overproduced for CBD and, and now the sort of jig is up. And if only we had overproduced for these composites and for these, uh, you know, fibers, um, then all of a sudden that would drive down the price, you know, and yep, some people are going to go out of business from that, but that enables us to jumpstart, um, the, uh, the, 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 the hemp fiber industries for the sure. overhead compartments and airplanes and the dashboards and the cars and the. Yeah. And just like my, my example, just like my example of the, um, you know, the, the supplement, the existing supplement companies coming into the CBD space, the same thing will happen in the material space. And I really do think that so many companies in the CBD space um, have made a mistake of not getting people to run their business that know the business side of things. Right. Um, they have people that know the hemp side of things, not myself. I mean, I, I'm, I'm exactly the problem. Uh, <laughs> people like me making, you know, being in charge of things. And I think we need people that have done this before. You need people that have run hundred, five hundred billion dollar companies that understand, okay, well, this is what you guys aren't doing right. And that's not just within companies that's on boards, that's on advisory boards. That's, you know, we've, we've tried to legitimize the industry as much, you know, we've definitely tried, but, now we really need to legitimize the industry by bringing in advisors from other industries and advisors from, uh, you know, I think what APA and, and Mike McGuffin have done to kind of bridge the gap between the roundtable and the dietary supplement world and, and kind of, you know, explain, you know, getting the roundtable to work with Amin Talati uh, to be kind of the FDA counsel for the roundtable was a huge step. But I think every little thing that we do like that, that brings in the industries that we're trying to put hemp into because uh, hemp isn't marijuana, right? Like it's not its own industry. You're not going to pop up hemp dispensaries all over the country and sell CBD. And I'm just like, you're not going to have, you know, only hemp fiber stores or whatever, hemp depot or <laughs> as opposed to Home Depot. So we have to fit into the existing world. Uh, whereas marijuana is, you know, because it's state by state, it is sustainable to do their own little shops all over the place. And there's, there's a whole business model behind that. This is totally different. And there's a business model behind the CBD thing too. Uh, there's certainly people doing that. But when you're trying to grow a crop, not a not a garden, right? A crop, acres yeah. and acres, farmers and farmers and farmers, you have to have this big, big industry or big, big industries to get into. And you know, I think we've just got to think a little bit clearer and harder about that as we move forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, so th this kind of leads to my last question that I was gonna ask earlier and and uh, I, I think you just blew it up but but I'm gonna ask it anyway and and because you know we're at this point right now where all right uh, it's time to go pro now you know so all of you you know cool hempy people it, you know your your passion is what got this thing off the ground but now we get but now we need to bring in 
the C-level people from whatever industries we're really trying to disrupt if you really want to do it. Because, you know, we don't want to reinvent the wheel with you cool, hempy people because there's other people who know how to do that. And, you know, like Ben and Jerry's aren't the CEOs anymore, but they're cool spokesmen, you know. So the question is, in your experience, are hempy people just like cool people, you know, cooler than your average insurance salesman or veterinarians? No, I mean, there's definitely people from all different walks of life and, and very, very intelligent people in their own respects in the hemp industry and the CBD industry and, and so on. Uh, and I think, you know, you can talk about Ben and Jerry's and they're no longer running Ben and Jerry's, right? Like there's, there's definitely a, a founder syndrome that, you know, sometimes you have to get that out of the way to really get to that next level. Um, I think, you know, I think the Stanley brothers have done a good job, really good job of hiring executives to come in and run that company like a real company. And you've seen it. I mean, you'll see, you know, their quarterly reports are, are pretty good and don't uh, necessarily stray away from, from what they're trying to accomplish, which is grow into a huge CPG company. Right. Um, you've seen it with acquisitions they've made and other things. And so, you know, they're definitely kind of the, the crystal ball right now that everyone talks about and everyone looks at and people also that, you know, they obviously have haters too, which comes with the territory. You don't have, can't have fans if you don't have haters. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, in that respect, you know, their biggest competition is other dietary supplement companies and other dietary supplement companies are already established companies with established executives that have been in those roles and understand the, the ins and outs of what's happening. And I think, there's a lot of people, well-meaning people uh, in the hemp industry trying to run successful businesses in a world that they're learning on the fly. Right. And I think that's, a, that's you know, maybe where a lot of the problems happen. You know, you look at the same thing with the, the groups, right? the, 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 the organizations, right, the, the advocacy groups. And they're, they're all well-intentioned, HAA, uh, NHA, NIHC, all the, the acronyms right. um, are all very well-intentioned. But who's... You know, how legitimate is their board? Is it are they making intelligent decisions? Are they being run well? Are they being fiscally responsible? Are they are they actually accomplishing anything? You know, it's fun to have an annual gathering every year and shake everybody's hands and have a couple drinks and you know, rah rah that the industry's growing. Now that the industry's not growing anymore or doesn't seem to be, well at the very least stagnant. Um, you know, what's the purpose of the organization? What's the mission? What's it getting done? And I think, I mean, you know, the last couple of months we've been sitting at home and on these Zoom calls and I've had time to obviously focus a little bit more on my board responsibilities than I would normally flying around the country and whatnot. But, um, you know, really time to sit back and say, okay, you know, I got into this industry, not certainly not to make a bunch of money in five years and walk away. And here we are in year seven and, you know, we're at a, at a stalemate just in some some. Some, to some degree, uh, and I think we're, you know, at a precipice where the the smart people in the room and the smart people behind the scenes are going to make it through through the other side, and you'll see massive fall off from brands going under, uh, you know, companies going under, farmers stepping away, or you know, getting into something different. Because that's the thing, farmers have other options. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a hemp company or a CBD company, you know, what else are you going to do? Um, I guess you could do other supplements, but that's pretty competitive from what I hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, you got to be strong-willed and savvy, I think, and to kind of proceed. And I don't think 
there's anything wrong with being an advocate and being, uh, you know, beating the drum that, hey, all this is wrong. The FDA is wrong. And uh, it's silly that they haven't acted. And it's silly that we didn't have hemp before now and we didn't have CBD before now. But that's the world we live in. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people, you know, I hear beating the drum about smokable flour. And I I don't disagree that that flour was legalized and all the, you know, arguments and all that stuff for it. But the reality is, we spent years, those of us that actually went to the Hill and put on the suit and tie, and if you know me, I don't put on a tie for anybody except for <laughs> Washington, D.C. these days, um, You know, put on the suit and tie, went to Washington, D.C. time after time after time and lobbied to Kentucky, Colorado, uh, the USDA, you know, all these different states and representatives and organizations and said, you know, one of the big thing was, no, there's no confusion with this in marijuana. No one would ever smoke this. We're going to make products out of this. You would never even know that this came from the same plant unless you went to the farm and smelt it there, you know, all those natural things. And now literally you can get online and order hemp flour and pre-rolled joints and have it shipped to your house anywhere in the country right now. And then there's the whole day at the aid thing and all this stuff. It's like, all right, you know, I was actually there lobbying. I was actually one of the people that helped to get the farm bill written and all that, all that good stuff. And, I'm not trying to take credit for it by any means, but I know what I said and I know what I didn't say. And I definitely said no one would ever want to smoke this. And, you know, that's never going to be a problem. And I'm not saying that it is a problem. I'm just saying now everyone's beating this drum of like, if that doesn't happen, it's going to kill the industry. Well, let me put it to you this way, people. You can, you can produce a lot of hemp joints on one acre of hemp. How many acres is that going to produce? If they legalize that tomorrow and you can sell hemp joints and gas stations and stuff, do we think that that's going to be a big booming, uh, you know, income of revenue to the, to the hemp world or whatever, maybe to some people, but again, it's only going to benefit those people who get those contracts and have the companies that can succeed in that industry. And so, you know, that's the same thing that's going to happen with the big box stores of the world or the, you know, their CBD, subscription services and there's CBD and beauty and there's CBD and sports and there's CBD and all these different verticals. So only so many people can conquer those markets and everybody seems to be saying out loud, Oh, if this, if that, and making up excuses when everyone has the same competitive advantage or disadvantage, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Do you just lastly, and this is a great conversation. Um, Josh, do you, um, are you as enthusiastic about the possibility of hemp being able to disrupt all these industries today than you were two years ago? Uh, seems like seems like there's the been a only shift. Reason I would say, the only reason I would say no um, would be because of the lack of funding, right? You know, the, the investor world has definitely soured on hemp because there was a lot of money raised on uh, valuations that are nowhere close to being the reality today. I would say, um, personally, do I believe that those things can come to fruition? Yes. Do I think we stubbed our toe and we're going to have to take a little, uh, you know, little breather and, and get, then get back on the track and, and keep pushing forward? Probably. Uh, you know, and that's just people run towards money. You know, I think that's a natural reaction and everybody went out and raised a bunch of money and started a CBD company. And, uh, now there's 4,000 CBD brands and, you know, I don't, I don't know the latest farming numbers, but dozens of thousands of 
farmers that jumped in all thinking that they could grow hemp and supply, you know, this very small market, like to re like my very, to my earlier point, the market wasn't as big, even if the numbers were true, that's still not that much CBD. And so there was just this massive uh, neglect for someone to look at the actual economics of the situation. I mean, you know, uh, I've always said that dual cropping and, you know, full utilization of the plant, when you can figure out how to get enough CBD that's worth processing out of the flower, that's also on a plant where you can get the seed out of it and get the fiber out of it. Now you're going to be cooking with gas and you're going to be able to have economies of scale. And I think, you know, there's definitely companies out there. New West Genetics uh, is a great example. They're doing a good job of breeding and um, with their genetics, trying to figure out how to multi-crop, right? Whether it's dual right. or tri-crop, it's better than one. And there's a lot of Christmas trees uh, that have been stripped of all their flowers that look like skeletons piled up all around the country that need to be, that are just going to end up being set on fire. And you better guess it'll be a good bonfire, but that's a lot of wasted material um, that costs a lot of money to produce. And so you got to figure out how to use the whole thing. Yeah, I, I guess that's that's the key is is the 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 multi crop answer to hemp, um, the hemp beyond CBD. Once we can get those footholds in there, and and uh, and it, it's tough because all of that CBD piling up in farms all around the country is that ever going to be is that ever going to be moved to fiber? or that's not really what it was purposed for, right? So, No, know, it would have I'll... to be, that, that's not really fiber hemp. Um, yeah. So in general terms, no, there are, you know, some people can come up with ways to make fire starter logs or, you know, but that's still, is, is it worth taking, grinding them up and gluing them together? And, you know, mm. are they going to be, are they going to sell? Because what do you have to price them at? All those things aren't really realistic when, the the person that grew it has has already lost a bunch of money on the CBD side. So, you know, I, I think there's a, you know, to probably speak more to your audience is there's a, there's an issue with the, the too many brands, right? You blank CBD and, and go with it. And you have to really drill down to who your customer is. You know, I got to ask this question the other day. If you were handed $10 million, knowing what you know now, what would you do? And obviously I'm biased, but I was like, well, I would give it to my fiance because wing CBD is <laughs> amazing. <laughs> but the reality is if you look at the numbers on spins or whatever, I mean, wing CBD is of those companies that started in the last 18 months is the hottest brand in the country. And it's pretty obvious why it's because it's a specific niche brand. It's not niche because women is a pretty broad niche, right. but it's specific to them. And they know who their customer is. They know who they're targeting, you know, um, and and it, of... it certainly helps that it comes from the supplements world. I can't tell you how many people in the supplements world that have jumped ship and gone to the CBD world, which helps. But but they haven't gone to all three or four thousand brands. You know, I, I, I guarantee you all of the top 20 CBD brands that are out there have someone who used to work in the supplements business that's working. Absolutely. For now. Now. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, but there's, but even within those top 20 brands or definitely the top hundred brands or whatever you want to, however far you want to go, um, there's not a lot of movement within those brands other than brands that are really identifying their customer, not just wings, but there's other brands that you can see and you can look, you know, at their current rank for the previous month versus their rank a year ago. 
and you know you, the top 10 are like maybe they switch one spot here and there month to month but they're all pretty you know they're right there right. Uh, but there's four or five people that have jumped into the top 30 or jumped into the top 50 and it's because they know who their customer is their customer is a targeted person whether it's a woman or an athlete or or it's uh, condition specific because they've added other ingredients you know there has to be these things that get people to do it and you know, there's only so many, there was only so many people that shopped at independent health food stores in 2018. And ironically, there's probably less people that shop there now. So you have to be specific, you have to be targeted, and you have to be well positioned, uh, you know, if you're going to succeed. And that's, that, you know, I keep using that example, but it goes down to the processor, it goes down to the farmer, it goes down to the um, seed breeder and stuff like you have to differentiate yourself because there's never been anything like this before. You know, I was saying that four years ago to the retailers, you know, this has never happened. So, you know, be, be understanding that this, you have to be uh, nimble and transparent and all these different things. And so, you know, I think getting people to understand that you know, it goes back to what I was saying about whether finding what you're good at and, and if you want to be in the industry and all those things, like you have to be very specific. This is no longer a broad, Oh, I support hemp and I want hemp to be legal and I want to have a hemp company kind of thing, or I want to be on a hemp board or I want to do this. Like that was great when we were legalizing and getting the farm bill passed. But now that the farm bill's passed, we need to let the people that are really worried about supplements focus on supplements. And that goes with the FDA. People that are really focused on food and ingredients like the Nestle's of the world and the Pepsi's and those people you mentioned, they need to come on board and focus on that aspect of it with the FDA and all that stuff. And then let the people that are focused on fiber and the non-CBD food do their thing. But everyone needs to, you know, it's like I used to say when you'd ask me, what's going to happen with the FDA? And I would say, well, they're going to create swim lanes, right? <laughs> well, the hemp industry, all of a sudden the swim lanes got removed from the pool and everybody's just wading around. And I think hmm. we need to put the swim lanes back into the actual hemp industry. And then maybe the FDA will give us some to swim in. Yeah, yeah. That was, a, that was a great finish, Josh. I really appreciated that. Just the uh, sophisticated formulations, the savvy, targeted marketing, uh, the differentiation from the, the seed genetics to the processor and the farmer. All, all these are ways that, that you can build uh, a, a successful brand, you know, uh, tr transparent practices and, and, uh, and really build a healthier tomorrow. I think that's all we have time for right now. Josh, always a pleasure. I can't wait to see you alive in person one of these days, if not years. God, who knows how long this pandemonium is going to last. But uh, good to hear from you on the other side. Congratulations on fatherhood. And that's it for another edition of the Healthy Insider Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you at the next Toddcast on your computer screen, folks. Take care. Thanks, Todd. Thank you for listening to a Healthy Insider Podcast. We are continually looking to improve your podcast experience and want to hear from you, the industry listener. Please take a moment to take our quick survey and provide your feedback at naturalproductsinsider.com slash podcast survey.